Pfizer reported that its vaccine shows a 95% efficacy. That sounds like it protects you 95% of the time, right? But that's not actually what that number means. That 95% refers to the relative risk reduction, but it doesn't tell you how much your overall risk is reduced by vaccination. For that, we need absolute risk reduction. In the Pfizer trial, 8 out of 18,198 people who were given the vaccine developed COVID-19. In the unvaccinated placebo group, 162 people got it, which means that even without the vaccine, the risk of contracting COVID-19 was extremely low at 0.88%, which the vaccine then reduced to 0.04%. So the net benefit, or the absolute risk reduction that you're being offered with a Pfizer vaccine is 0.84%. That 95% number? That refers to the relative difference between 0.88 and 0.04%. That's what they call 95% relative risk reduction. And relative risk reduction is well known to be a misleading number, which is why the FDA recommends using absolute risk reduction instead. Which begs the question, how many people would have chosen to take the COVID-19 vaccines had they understood that they offered less than 1% benefit? Welcome to The Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Tuesday, June 21st, 2022, wasn't planning on a show today, and I saw one thing that somebody sent me that just, I really, I said, I'm going to have to jump on and talk about that one story. And then while I was doing that, preparing that one thing, it was going to be really short, I stumbled into a just a conversation around collapsing athletes that just drove me crazy. One of these stories that are, you know, topics that we've been dying and the hill we've been dying on, along with people like Jay Wilderness, we we always discuss his great compilations. And this topic has been one that we've really been harping on because it's so incredibly obvious. It just breaks my heart, no pun intended, to watch these people out there struggling in real time and it get dismissed and ignored. And just that, and that's just talking about athletes collapsing, not even in regard to, I mean, obviously the conversation circles around whether or not people are getting injections. But the point of today is really putting aside for a moment the conversation of the injection itself and simply going, look at the data, look at what they said was Un, you know, what was a high number every year up until now, what we would expect in the, you know, athletes collapsing on the field or specifically cardiac arrest and what we're seeing today. Vaccination discussion aside, there's no missing that that's like it's it's obscenely more than we've ever seen in history. And yet we're dismissing it or rather people are dismissing it because fake news, because vaccine conspiracy theory. So this is my point today. Obviously, you know my concerns and you know my thoughts of the past, and I'll, I'll express them today. But for the conversation, it's about simply looking at how many athletes have simply had cardiac arrest on the field, off the field. We'll look at both. And how that right now is an alarming number compared to any year we've ever looked at. And yet nobody's talking about it in regard to the people that are supposed to be keeping you safe. In fact, the people that were the people that are supposed to be investigating those things in order to make sure that something isn't happening 
are ignoring it, dismissing it, gaslighting people who point it out. It's alarming. So it, for some reason, that really got me upset today, and I, I'm going to put that conversation to bed. I, and in fact, I put it in quotes today for a reason, because it's not just athletes, right? And we're not even just talking about collapsing athletes. There's children, and I, it's everywhere. <laughs> Let's just put it that way, guys. And you all know this because of the work we're doing, because of what you're investigating. It's all over the place. And all I'm talking about is unexplainable, unprecedented rises and heart attacks and collapses and everything. Where it, you can ignore the vaccine correlation if you'd like. Yes, you have, you have that right. But we have to still acknowledge that there's obviously something going on first. And that's the, there still won't, people in control, people that are in the power situations don't want to see that, don't want to acknowledge it. It's incredibly alarming. Now, the point that I'm going to start with today, which opened up that conversation, is something that somebody sent me in regard to what I would argue is the Great Reset, one of the many parts of it. And I don't want to say beginning because it's already been happening, but one of the earliest examples I've seen of them coming right out, pointing at what they destroyed even though moments ago to argue that their pandemic response was disastrous was fake news. Like literally yesterday, you're a conspiracy theorist. They saved all sorts of lives is the Twitterverse argument. Now they're coming out and saying, well, because our response was disastrous, and I will get into how ridiculous that is because of their exercises where they decided we weren't prepared and then apparently did nothing, <laughs> whatever, or however you want to look at that, that because they're disastrous, pandemic response that we need to reimagine, or that's my word, we need to redesign our healthcare system. And what it ultimately amounts to is more centralized control in the federal government, more control over what you're allowed to do, and exactly what you might have expected. I mean, it might as well be the pandemic treaty at a local area, at, at a national level. And that's alarming. And it's again, to hear this, it's because they took actions that destroyed your economy, your healthcare system, your healthcare, your health, and are now pointing at that and saying, allow us to rebuild it in a better way, because obviously the COVID pandemic destroyed everything. So the people that destroyed your life are now asking if they can reimagine how you're supposed to live. That seems like it makes sense, doesn't it? So we're going to get into that today, as well as a couple of other, uh, well, actually specifically one other point, and I'm going to end with, and that's in regard to self-spreading vaccines, just to kind of tie this all together, which I hope you will stay to the end to see. To start off, though, I'd like to make a couple of quick points reasonably quickly here. This one is <clears throat> something that we just talked about. For those that hadn't seen it, I'm just following up on this. So now we're, you know, 48 hours in where I've posted, according to the science, if you take the COVID vaccine, you will be protected from any form of death for the rest of your life, which is obviously really stupid and medical misinformation. It's still there. I already know of at least 20 people that have reported this as medical misinformation to Twitter. And yet it's still there. Now, I don't even care if they know what I'm doing, which I'm sure to some level somebody might just by watching this or hearing it or seeing the comments. It still doesn't matter. They're not supposed to be able to personally decide on how these things are supposed to be based on their rules, right? But they don't care. So the point is, as always, they only censor things in one direction. And even then, it's up to them. This is what you would call medical misinformation, but it's in a, in a pro-vaccine direction. You know, taking this will do great things for you that are completely unverifiable, but nobody gets censored for that. But we can post things that we can prove with peer-reviewed science and we get censored constantly. That's the point I'm making. So there it is still. I know plenty of people that have that have reported it. Please do step in there, report the tweet. I'm not afraid of being censored on Twitter again. So let's test their limits. Now, something I saw today, almost right before I went live, I just wanted to give a quick shout and hear me on this. I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I do not... I'm not trying to say the world's going to end, go get prepared. 
But I saw this in its report coming out all over corporate media. A major geomagnetic storm, an enormous sunspot is set to burst. And they're talking about how it's built and doubled in size over 24 hours. So I'm not saying that that, if it was is a real thing that is happening, is not something to be concerned about because the sun, these solar flares and so on can be can be damaging. But my concern is that that is one of the arguments people make about why we might suddenly all lose power. You know, an EMP sort of sort of situation, and it'd be very easy if that was simply oh a sun a sun or, or a, a solar flare caused everything to do that. And now that it did, we can see how weak we are. We need to reimagine the whole thing, rebuild everything. Just a concern. All I'm saying is that if that does actually lead to something, like an actual solar flare that causes a massive EMP-type situation, it's smart to be prepared, right? So first of all, if this is genuine, then it's still smart to be prepared. Water, food, things you should always have, by the way. Just being ready for situations where other people might not be, right? Because those are the people that'll come kicking in your door to try to steal from you when they're in a situation they didn't prepare for. Just this history, and again, I'm not trying to be alarmist. History has shown this is in situations like that. We see kind of societal norms break away. The other side of this is whether or not this is a narrative being floated in order to justify that kind of thing. In any case, the same point, get prepared. Now, if this wasn't happening, get prepared. <laughs> right? That's the idea, guys. Prepare yourselves, whether or not there's an alarming situation being set in front of you. But I have a sneaking suspicion that there's going to be something like this that's going to be a big event that will be used to rationalize the big move or something. So just a heads up. <clears throat> now, uh, last point before we start off with, uh, oh, two last points before we start off with the article. This is from Alex Bernison, just following up on something I just reported yesterday, which is ultimately that the data within the paper around the sperm count reduction, which here's the study we just showed yesterday in the last show. I should grab that anyway, since I'm talking about it. In regard to this, the, the peer-reviewed science, and it is indeed peer-reviewed, that says COVID-19 vaccination, the Pfizer injection, temporarily impairs semen concentration and total multile count among semen donors. And I guess I should have explained that yesterday as well, which is just the, the actual concentration of specific sperm within the semen. <laughs> Sorry to be graphic for people that don't like hearing these words. The point, though, is that this is concerning, whether or not it's temporary, as I discussed yesterday. But he follows up on this and gets into the data itself and makes a couple great points. The authors qualified their findings by reporting that after five months, sperm levels recovered. Thus, the decreases were only temporary, they wrote. Put aside the fact that a five-month decrease hardly qualifies as temporary, which I agree with, my point is simply that it happens at all. First of all, that's a conspiracy theory that's completely dangerous misinformation that's now being proven correct, whether or not it's a small thing or not, that they said nothing like this was happening. There's a huge story that nobody's talking about in corporate media. But on top of that, the data shows that it's not temporary, or at least not the way they're explaining it. He goes on to say, uh, as other writers have pointed out, the actual data in the paper do not really support the argument that sperm levels return to normal after five months. In fact, by some measures, levels continued to decline. Rather than acknowledging this fact, the authors offered the best possible spin on their data, data, while at the same time publishing the figures themselves near the end of the paper so that other researchers could see the reality for themselves. There's two ways you can look at that. I'll read what he says first. The tactic is now com commonplace among researchers putting out data that might raise concerns about the mRNA shots. I agree with that. It is likely a response to the overwhelming political pressure to hide the deepening crisis around the safety and efficacy of these shots or the lack thereof that governments have given to over a billion people worldwide. Now, there's two ways to look at this. And I agree with what he's saying. Either one, these scientists are 
you know, still being dishonest by publishing things they know not to be true, but are doing it in a way where they're like, well, hey, I'm not going to lose my job. I'm going to lie because they will fire me or not fund me if I if I don't. But I'm going to include the data at the back. So people that are smart are going to be able to look into this and see that it's not actually what they're saying. I mean, the study itself is a little is damaging. Right. I mean, it's that's the problem for the, the narrative. But they included the data that showed their arguments were essentially incorrect. That's a very interesting thing to do, you know, or you could argue they just chose to read it the way they wanted to. In any case, it is a common practice we keep seeing where they just come to the opposite conclusion of what the data shows. And it's not the opinion of Ryan sitting in his chair or Alex Bernison on his computer. It's the opinion of plenty of other scientists and doctors and experts that have read these things and said, that's the quite, that's the diametric opposite of what that data shows. And they talk to other experts and they go, I agree, which is a peer review of itself. The point is this keeps happening. They keep get caught lying and they don't retract those ones. They only retract things via the editor after multiple experts agree that it's sound. <laughs> That's what we keep seeing. But it goes on to say below, and you can see this for yourself, is the crucial chart, which shows that the total motile count, the number of sperm in the, in the semen, it plunged 22% uh, three to five months after the second shot and barely recovered during the final count when it was still 19% below the pre-shot levels. I mean, how in the world do you, first of all, call that temporary that it, re it recovers and still not acknowledge that this is for sure an effect on people's fertility, their reproductivity? It says, even more importantly, the fall in sperm count cannot be blamed on short or even medium-term inflammation, which I don't know why that wouldn't just be as, as alarming, but as mRNA-generated spike proteins cause our immune cells to ramp up the systemic production of anti-spike antibodies. which So we've just all but accepted the reality that spike proteins and mRNA and lipid nanoparticles are causing our body to go haywire. Inflammation everywhere, but it's only temporary. Just crazy to me where we are. But the point is that it's, you can't, it's, that is not an explanation. He goes, if that were the case, one would expect to see a short-term decrease in sperm count that reverses over time. Instead, sperm counts are unaffected shortly after the mRNA shots, then decrease months later and hardly recover. To play down this unpleasant reality, the researchers instead focused on the fact that the median rather than the average counts did recover after five months. And this is what we keep seeing, guys, playing with statistics that people may not understand the difference between median or average. Or as he points out, simply the, the average being the collective, you know, add them all together, divide by the number of the total. It's different than the median. Right. They're they're picking a number that's that's bottom line is, guys, they are playing with the information to come to a conclusion that is not actually what the data shows. But even if you don't agree with that, even if you don't want to hear that, this is still a story that was dismissed as utter fake news misinformation. that's now shown to be true in however remote, small aspect you think. It's still true. It's amazing that we keep seeing this right over and over and over. Conspiracy theory becomes conspiracy fact. Now. I wanted to give a, a, a make a point here around DeSantis. Now, we've been talking a lot, and you know my opinions about pretty much any politician, especially those that are aggressively tied to the two-party paradigm, like DeSantis, that I don't trust any of them. I don't believe that they're doing things that are in your best interest. And if they are, in my opinion, that's because that just so happens to align with what's advantageous for them in that moment, even if that is just being the person that, you know, doing the, quote, right thing, because that's what gets you more votes or, you know, whatever. I, I know, call me a pe pessimist, call me jaded. Maybe I am. It's just what history has shown me. But 
to make this point today, I think it's important. We had this conversation around DeSantis in Florida. Remember the first point about the, you know, standing up to all of this and you rate, you read through his actual legislation and there was very clear verbiage about being allowed to quarantine, force vaccination, all the different things should they choose. So why that's allowed in the first place in somebody that's fighting back is beyond me, but that's not the point we're getting into today. We all heard this conversation about Florida being kind of the lone standout of the, you know, not allowing or rather specifically not ordering from the from the from the state level, the shots specifically for five, under six to under five to six month old children, and that's a great. I was happy to hear that. Now I'm still obviously think it's ridiculous that they're still ordering and and well let's let's be clear. I don't think any of these are safe for anybody. That's my opinion based on the facts and the data and the peer reviewed science. But there's a point to be made here about whether people still have a choice, because obviously they do. Now if you're simply removing that choice from them. There's a, co- a question to be asked there. Is that not the same thing in reverse? Now, I'm even ch- I'm in my mind even battling that because I'm thinking, well, if it's deadly, it's like pretending people have a right to take arsenic, you know, and then people are going to flip out about that comparison. But the point is, nonetheless, choice still matters. Right. So well, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So here's the article. It says DeSantis reversed course. Yahoo News reports, allows Florida's pediatricians to order COVID-19 vaccines for under five. So most people that read this go, oh, he's a you know hypocrite, he's contradictory, he's going back on what he said. And that's actually what I first perceived it as before I dug in. But as always, I will do my due diligence before I report it to you. White House says. So you find out that the, old, the main point here is that it's not really changing course at all. In fact, DeSantis is simply standing by what he said in this case. And as much as I still don't trust him or believe he's doing what's right for you, I will give him props for apparently taking the right stance here and standing by what he said thus far, which is ultimately that he won't order them and he's not. But they had always maintained that they would allow the pediatricians, the practices to order them themselves should they want to. Why? Because people have free choice. And if they want to give them, if people want to come in to get them without being forced, because that's not happening, at least for now in Florida, that they have the right to get it should they want to, because that's freedom, right? So the point is, apparently, the White House is specifically, as not surprising to anybody, altering and warping the facts to make it look like what they want, which is he went back on what he said, which is even to my investigation is exactly the opposite of what actually happened. Now, listen to DeSantis explain this. Now, it's not just because he explains it this way that I believe that. I mean, you look into it for yourself and he is correct. But this is an important point to make about why, you know, facts matter. Regardless of what's, what side you're on or what you think, you know, facts ultimately, they always matter in regard to, they supersede the two-party paradigm. Let's put it that way. And you know me, I'm trying to fight for the facts on any side of this. Yes, sir. So the White House is lying about it. We, <laughs> surprise, not surprised the White House would lie. Definitely not surprised that legacy media would amplify the lie because that's what they do. The state of Florida, they came out with an article saying the state of Florida has not ordered, its Department of Health has not ordered mRNA jabs for the babies. Yes, we didn't. We recommend against it. We are not going to have any programs where we're trying to jab six-month-old babies with mRNA. That's just the reality. And I think what happened was they thought somehow we would we would like be be embarrassed by that. No, we're following the data. You look at these European countries; uh, they are. Uh, a lot of them don't even allow Moderna for under age thirty, or they recommend against it. 
So right there, first point, and you can obviously hear the explanation right there. But so if the data, if, if, if he's just pointing at that saying the data backs it up, well, you know what? The data backs up that it's not safe for 30 year olds or 40 year olds or 50 year olds or any of these people. So I just, you know, I have a hard time, going, you know, high-fiving about this one choice, which is still a great choice when it's being, at the very least, suggested in still, even still in Florida, or there, there are places that we're requiring it for jobs or different things that are happening like that all over the country. So I just wish these people would take the stance that, look, we can see beyond the data that these things are dangerous for everybody. If you still want to take it here, it's still, it's there for you, right? If you choose and you can do, here's how to access it. But I don't know. I just have a hard time with this. And I, I wonder whether this is a, you know, an advantageous move for upcoming elections and so on. Again, call me jaded. I know that I probably am, but let, let, I'll finish this one last part for him. So that was always that. We still have not ordered it. We're not going to order it. Now, what they're saying is because practitioners and hospitals can order it, somehow we've reversed. I, I said from the beginning they'll be able to do that. We don't have the authority to prevent it. And quite frankly, if someone wants to make a different decision, I would just caution people, look at the actual data in the clinical trial. It is the weakest possible data that you could possibly uh, see. True. Very small number of people. Uh, Remember, that's it's seven and three. It's ten total kids. That's it. And they uh, and two thirds of the entire trial didn't finish. There's no explanation for that. Two thirds of the entire trial. That's outrageous. It, this is null and void. I mean, they they have completely fabricated this entire thing. And the data is incredibly obvious. In fact, just like we were just talking about, the data shows you the opposite of what they're saying. What the recommendation is from them doesn't even track the outcomes. It was something that, but, but people can ask their pediatricians, they can ask their doctors, what's the evidence of, of, of protection against severe disease? There, there was none in the clinical trial. Yeah, well, that's a hard thing to do when the doctor's like, oh, well, you, you're asking questions, you're a conspiracy theorist, get out. <laughs> which I'm not even making up, has literally happened. Plenty of these people are so ramped up on their own superiority that they don't allow you to ask questions. You know, who cares about informed consent, right? You ask a question about ingredients, you're a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, there is no form, informed consent if you can't even ask questions. Uh, but, but that's something that people would do. But for us, Joe Latipo, our Department of Health has looked at it. There is no proven benefit to put a, a baby with an mRNA. So right, I agree with that. He can't even say mRNA, by the way, which I find interesting. But if there's no benefit, which he's right, there you go. There is your lack of emergency authorization validation. That you, if it's not the benefits, don't outweigh the risks. If there are no proven benefits in this age group, it just it drives me crazy. But I'm glad he's saying it. But that's why our recommendation is against it. That's different than prohibiting the use in Florida, which we don't have the the authority to do. And quite frankly, you know, we're we're confident people can make their own judgments on it. But I would say when you look at the trial, one of the things they did, they did not have. Uh, babies or very young kids who had recovered from COVID in the trial. So I'll, you guys can listen to the rest of this for yourself. He goes on to explain things we've already gone over. But so I just want to make sure we saw that, you know, right? So that the, the contradiction here is, again, partisan BS. But it doesn't mean we should be trusting that these people are on your side, right? Because as, my, as far as I'm concerned, the data has been damn near blatantly obvious for a long time. Not damn near, it has been blatantly obvious for a long time now. So let's get into what they're doing with this discussion of what they've done to us with all the things that are hurting you. Now we'll talk about the collapsing athlete point, then we'll finish off with the self-spreading vaccines. 
Now, Rich People Weekly pointed this out to me. The same health experts that have contributed to USA being the most unhealthy ever. That's a good point to make, right? Historically speaking, you know, I mean, if you just if you just look back over, like, I, there's a lot of ways you could frame this. Last 10 years, depending on, you know, different administrations. But like, for, I can't even look back. How long has it been since the one of the leading causes of death in this country has been healthcare? As far as, as long as I've been alive. Right, that's incredible. There's always these weird sidestep arguments about, well, because of you know this and because of how many people we have. It's it's as, it's as clear as day. It's because our health system is broken, and it has been for a long time. Not broken the way they're trying to say it is now, but broken by design. Because it's not about keeping you the, the joke of it's a sick care system. Ha ha ha! You know, we all laugh at these things, then we debate them in partisan ways, then we never change anything because they've been robbing you blind this entire time, where you pay more than anybody and get less health care or any whatever you want to frame it as. So the first point is obviously that these same health experts have been the ones behind broken policy for decades. Now saying that the data collection, right, the organization of the data around COVID-19, not their incompetence, are is the main reason for so many deaths. Think about that. Now, think about how ridiculous it is to point at the information gathering, exactly which we were pointing at before, saying, you're not doing that right. You're not gathering the data right. You're being super liberal with the data, right? We heard all these arguments. We're, you know, anybody with four, four, you know, 28 days and a test and blah, blah, blah. That's what they chose to do. This isn't about incompetence. This is a choice that was basically uh, distributed down the ranks. If it was an incompetent choice, it wouldn't have been done broadly across the entire country simultaneously. This is a choice to be able to create a situation where the data can be manipulated by conflating flu and pneumonia and COVID-19, by doing all sorts of things. But now they're pointing at that complete dumpster fire, by design dumpster fire, and saying, see, see, it was just because we didn't do this right. And that's not because of us. It's because the system's broken. So let us, the same people that did these bad choices, that broke everything, let us redesign everything for you. Problem, reaction, solution. As he says, goodbye, health privacy. Exactly. And it says, oh, and they can't, they want control over minimum health standards, i.e. mandatory vaccines. Now, here is the New York Times post, and we'll read the actual article. Health experts will call on Tuesday. Now, this is posted today, so this is being, this, this potentially today. When I say call on Tuesday, I wonder if that meant the next Tuesday or not, but you can, I'll go through the article. I believe it does say it in there. On Tuesday for an overhaul of U.S. public health system that would expand the role of federal government. Oh, good. <laughs> federal government, the one that didn't, that they're pointing at and saying they failed. So the answer to a failure is more government, right? This is the same thing we see everywhere. Oh, you destroyed that entire country? What's the answer? More government, more funding, more military. Because if we get more, we can do it better. And then they topple another country and destroy it again. And what is the answer? More money, more military, more over and over. In every single aspect, their argument is more of the same problem. Now, if you continue to think that's just incompetence, that's exactly what they would want from you. They would always rather be seen as incompetent than criminal. What we're watching is the problem, reaction, solution scenario. And I don't believe that everybody involved, I don't even believe that most involved, will understand what's happening. They do think that these might be the right choices, you know? Like, oh, look, we basically are upset that the NSA is spying on us, or these problems are happening, and the argument is right into law the very thing that we just said we have a problem with. Another analogy in the same in the same vein, right? Or the War Powers Act, or the Patriot Act. 
if we're upset about the way these things are going, the argument shouldn't be to literally outline in law why that thing is now allowed. That's the opposite of what Americans want. It's the same concept. We're upset about how this has been destroyed. People are upset about their health, their, their health care, their rights being removed, everything that's happening, shutting down the economy, destroying your jobs. And all they're going to do is say, all that was the right move. We just need more money and funding and more control over your life. Because if you think for one second this won't include lockdowns and masks and mandates, then you're not paying attention. So let's read what it says. Citing a disastrous pandemic, which again, I love because, you know, I'm, even right now, by the way, probably even this is published, you could probably go on Twitter right now and argue that your government carried out disastrous pandemic response and killed lots of people. Like, why did somebody do that for me right now? Go post it on Twitter and I bet you you'll get censored for it. Because you're not allowed to say that. But right this moment, here's New York Times using that argument to justify why we need to let those same people rebuild everything because of their disastrous pandemic response. <laughs> and I'll just make this point now, and I'll, I'll reference it again in a minute. I've made this many times throughout this entire discussion, long before COVID-19. What is the point of these ridiculous pandemic exercises, if not to prepare Obviously, I'm being the reality. You guys know my discussions of what these things I believe are supposed to be, which is setting the tone, the narrative that, you know, getting things ready in people's minds, social engineering. But their argument is this is about preparing, right? Crimson Contagion, Event 201. I mean, you could list off 15 different exercises in, in just the last decade. And, and apparently they did it over and over. And guess what? You can read it for yourself every single time. What do they find? We're unprepared. We don't have enough PPE. We need to do this. We need to do that. And guess what? Every single one of those checkboxes are what they're pointing at now. So what was this for? Did you not do anything about it? Well, of course, you can get into the partisan divide and say, Trump made this stop and we didn't do that. And that's what they would want from you. But you can go back before Trump and see the same thing over and over and over, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. They use these exercises to point at the problem and then don't do anything about it because that problem will be pointed at yet again down the line. And you could even argue whether or not there's a problem. Maybe this isn't the issue. Maybe it's just that they are keeping the narrative spinning. The bottom line is to make this isolated point. In Event 201, they found they needed all these things to make this a better pandemic response in the future. They didn't do any of it. Now, they point at the things they didn't do and say, there's a reason this is all broken. Now ask yourself, had they done those things, would it have made a difference? You could argue no, but the point simply is, how can you say the system is broken if they didn't even try to do the things that might have made it different? Problem, reaction, solution. Yeah, right. Cladex, dark winter, right? There's, there's a lot of these. And they never seem to do anything about it, except it's not about changing things. Again, it's about social engineering predictive programming. As it says, Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation hosted Event 201, a high-level pandemic exercise on October 18th, 2019. Very prescient, isn't it? I had, uh, let's see if I still have that in here. Oh, I'll play, maybe I'll play that at the end. I forget how long this is. James Corbett, oh, it's only two minutes. Let me see. James Corbett has a great little clip of Event 201. You will know by now, if you are following the Corbett Report, you will know about Event 201 that was co-hosted by the Johns Hopkins Center and uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum, etc. back in October 2019 that 
was wargaming simulating an ec pandemic exercise? What would happen in the event of a globally spreading coronavirus pandemic? And they wargamed it out, and this is what we'll do, and this is how you shut down international travel, and this is what will happen to business, and this is how we keep business going, and this is how we deal with misinformation online. They, they did the entire exercise, and it's been talked about at length. The timing of a pandemic exercise predicting essentially what is happening right now in terms of a novel coronavirus, globally spreading pandemic, shutdown of businesses, all of this that came from this simulation taking place at, again, at the exact same time that we are led to believe that the novel coronavirus was just starting to infect people as we are led to believe in Wuhan. Again, anyone who doesn't see anything at least worthy of further inquiry in that type of monumental coincidence where the attendees of Event 201, as I've pointed out before, got little coronavirus plushies as their memento mori to mark the event. Oh, isn't that so cute? They, they must have took them home and put them on the mantle. And then, wouldn't you know it, a novel coronavirus starts spreading and killing millions, as we're told. Hmm. Interesting, isn't it? <laughs> right. Now, of course, then the point that I'm making is you go on from that and recognize that None of the things they said we must, must, must do to be safe and save lives, they, they do at all. At all. And it's not just the U.S. and Trump. Remember, this was an international thing. Bill and, Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation involved. We had the CDC from China there. None of this stuff happened. I mean, how do you miss something so stupid? Okay, so back to the main point that we're talking about now, them pointing at the things they didn't do and saying, look at how disastrous our response was. So there, we're going to justify, rationalize an expert panel calling for an overhaul of the U.S. public health system. Now, I'm not pretending that we have, don't have an entirely broken system, but I think it's by design. But the last thing we should be asking for is the very people that put you in this position to reimagine what that system will be. I mean, it just that's, that's like, I, don't, I can't even think of, there's so many analogies. You're asking, you're asking provable sociopaths, psychopaths, to create a system which is for your best interest, even though they literally just didn't do the things they said they were going to do to help keep you safe. A new federal position will be created. Here's what it says. The bipart a bipartisan panel, that's always important, guys, hashtag two-party illusion, of health experts will call on Tuesday for an overhaul of the American public health system that would greatly expand, greatly expand the role of the federal government. The recommendations flow from what the panel, the Commonwealth Fund Commission on a National Public Health System, described as the inadequacies and, of course, the inequities of the United States response to the coronavirus pandemic, which has killed more than one million Americans. But are we so what are we arguing here that their disastrous response killed all these people? I mean, how dare you suggest such a terrible thing? Isn't that conspiracy theory? I mean, that's literally what they're saying. And by the way, their actions did kill a million people. But of course, the point is they want to frame that as only coronavirus. But you see, because it's advantageous for them to frame it in a way that argues that we didn't do this well enough. That's why we need to reimagine it. They're basically admitting what we have been saying and censored for the entire time. This is what it looks like to be caught in the lie where you're lying about everything. You can't take a step without stepping on a previous lie. The bottom line is that their actions killed a lot of people. And we're not even, look, what they're talking about right there is COVID-19, whatever you think that is. We're not even including all the people that died from lockdowns related issues, from healthcare problems that didn't get treated, from, from alcohol abuse, drug abuse, from marital abuse. I mean, for crying out loud, guys, we saw this, they changed our entire planet because of what they did for years, <laughs> two years, I mean, over a year at the very least, and still happening in some places. 
Or how about the masks that were put on people that definitely increased their illness and led to lots of other problems and death? It's obvious that these actions were terrible. Now, you could ask whether or not this was the point, right, to create a situation that looked like this, so we need to reimagine everything. You know, these are questions we should be asking. But their inadequacies in, in, and inequities, don't forget that point obviously is relevant, don't get into it in the article, or why this needs to happen. But in a report to be released on Tuesday, the panel said it also wanted to address the failures of the nation's public health agencies, so the NIH, the CDC, to protect, to protect Americans from other health risks. See, it going forward, including drug overdoses, diabetes, mater, uh, maternal mortality. Yeah, not like giving them an unproven safe injection to pregnant women, which is right now still the case, as their documentation right now still says, we don't know because we haven't tested on pregnant women, whether these are safe for pregnant women, but we're pushing it on pregnant women. That's, you know, doesn't matter. But they need to protect Americans from other things. Right. So again, the lockdowns are what exacerbated these problems. But all they're doing is outlining this complete federal top-down control over your health. I don't know why anybody wants that. I don't think anybody does. In recommending the creation of a new national public health system, the bipartisan panel financed by the Commonwealth Fund, a nonprofit research group focused on healthcare issues, which I actually forgot to look into who that was because I have a sneaking suspicion that there's going to be some obvious connections there. Let that load for us. Oh, here we go. Commonwealth Fund. Let's do just a quick cursory search and see what pops up. Commonwealth Fund. About the fund. Let's see. Usually you can find people on here that are. They're funders, right? Hmm. I don't want to waste too much time on it. I should have done it earlier. Board of Directors. Let's take a quick look at that. See if any names stand out. David Blumenthal. I don't know who that is, but then. Okay, we'll come back to it. In the chat, make sure you look at it, guys. Let me know if you find anything. I, I mean, I almost always these groups are tied back to something, which doesn't necessarily mean everything, right? Just because you can find, like I've always made this point before, you can find connections to these larger people with a lot of people that aren't necessarily technically and how we would see it connected to them just because they're very prominent, right? But a nonprofit research group focused on healthcare issues is dipping its toe in contentious political waters. While other countries have centralized public health authorities, public health in the United States is largely managed at a state and local level. Yeah, because the Constitution, you know, those things that are supposed to be guiding our actions are the thing. The central, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the federal public agency, does not have the authority to compel states to act. Well, you wouldn't know that by looking, would you? Right. You very clearly they pretend they do. And it says it cannot, for example, investigate outbreaks of infectious disease in a particular state unless it has an invitation from the state to do so. So you see what they're getting at this. Guys, this is a, a local version, a national version of the pandemic treaty discussion. The CDC wants the ability to be able to go into the state and say you have to do this because of what we are saying, because of what the state next to you said. Right. This is that's there's no that, that one is violating states rights, first of all, which is something that barely exists today, if not if at all. But it's incredibly ominous to see the very group that put you in this position argue they want more control. In this report, the panel cited archaic approaches to aggregating data. Right. So we start all this. And one of the first things we point out is what do you what is where's the correlation or where's the coordination on, let's say, PCR cycle thresholds? Where's the discussion about what kind of mass should be used and how long and where and blah, blah, blah. They made a choice to make sure this wasn't connected. 
because they wanted this to seem like it, it would have been very easy to coordinate, but they chose not to. And I made this clear in the beginning so they can look back now and say, oh my God, it was just chaotic. And I didn't, it's all broken and old and we need to rebuild it. That's the overarching point. They, as one reason Americans have died, not the fact that they did terrible things and gave them injections that are dangerous. No, it's because we just didn't aggregate the data right. <laughs> How do you even translate that? It called on Congress to give the Department of Health and Human Services, of all places, authority to establish and enforce standards for data collection. So now, on top of the, the centralized health control and forcing directions on people, they're going to control the flow of data. You know why there's a central play in this game? Because the places like the UK, Health Security Agency, Scotland, Ontario, New South Wales, and all the places that we keep catching, releasing the data that shows you the real contrast, quickly get censored and removed. So now they're going to create a centralized flow of that data to make sure that they can control. This is my opinions, by the way, but health and human services creating and establishing and enforcing standards on how that data can be collected. Why we would trust these entities that have been caught lying already with this is beyond me. But Julie L. Gurdending, a member of the panel who served as CDC director in President George Bush's administration, said the pandemic had, quote, taught us that we have that we have to have a coordinated, integrated public health network that functions. And the only way that we can bring that together is by having a national approach. So let me ask you this. Where did, why wasn't this brought up? I mean, why is this happening right this moment? And why is it rationalized by the fact that what, I mean, aren't, haven't they been selling us for two years that the actions they took were the right thing to do? Haven't we continually pointed this out that they keep drilling it in, that the lockdowns worked and that it helped us. And by the way, it even stopped climate change, right? I mean, whatever else they're spinning into it, but now they're just flipping that on his ear and saying, well, no, it all failed. And that's why we need to change. I mean, this is as dumb as Ukraine at this point. This is ridiculous, contradictory information. But nothing means anything. Everything means nothing, right? Forget about what they said yesterday. Focus on what they're saying now. That's what they want from you. It says the commission's recommendations are more sweeping. The panel, led by Dr. Margaret Hamburg, who we've heard before, the commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration under President Barack Obama, just pulling up the usual suspects, which, oh, by the way, which was what the point of the thumbnail today. I made myself very proud of that. It's not meant to imply, I mean, people that don't know the movie is the usual suspects. It's about, you know, the, the usual suspects, the people that are the, what you might grab and assume are involved before, you know, kind of an idea, but also that they're in a lineup, you know, maybe some wishful thinking, but Bush administration, Barack Obama administration, you know, left, right, two-party illusion, call for the creation of a new position, the undersecretary for public health, right? We're just adding new divisions and administrations and new bureaucracies. And just, it's just never ends, right? I mean, more money for more systems, for more things on top of more. Like this is like passing laws for things we already have because of politics. You're just, we don't need a new position. We don't need anything new. We need to make things, we need to be honest about the current situation. We need to allow people to make their own choices, not add more control over their lives. That's what this is. And they're adding that where within the Department of Health and Human Services, of course, to oversee the national public health system. The undersecretary would coordinate the work of more than a dozen federal agencies that play a role in public health and would have to the power to set minimum health standards for states, as they're pointing out, such as necessitating vaccination for certain situations. And there's plenty of laws they've already pushed through with COVID that they will use for this. It says, quote, our system of public health is a federalist system with states and loyalties having considerable autonomy. Oh, excuse me, localities having considerable autonomy and appropriately so. Why? First of all, before I finish their sentence, because of the Constitution. But that's not what they're thinking as they adapt to the, ne the needs of their states and communities. However, <laughs> did you feel that coming? The public health protections 
that individuals receive shouldn't be wholly dependent on where you live. There should be a core of set expectations. This is where they get into the equitable argument. So this is always how they play this game. It's not fair. They should have the same things. Well, okay, so you're now using a fair argument, which is wildly subjective, to step over constitutional rights, which is what they do everywhere. That's not fair. What, are we in kindergarten? If the state is making a, an argument based on the, the, at least the stated argument that they're embodying the constituents' will, why would the federal entity have the right to step in and go, well, that's not fair because that's not the same as that state has? Well, we, we don't care. Well, your state, we're talking about what we want in this state and what our people have voted for. But you see, this just goes beyond all of that. This comes down to centralized control in every possible way. Now, I don't care if you believe and agree with me on all of this stuff. The bottom line is, why would we want more centralized control, whether healthcare, foreign policy, or anything? Everybody across the political spectrum over the years has been acknowledging this problem. But now, because we've all been warped into different extreme positions, they're really pushing this in. And it should be alarming to all of us where this is going. Now, with that in mind, with the centralized forced entity, which I'm sure we could all very clearly. The black phone. Is that really the one we were just talking about in regard to? Oh, I don't want to waste time on it. Oops. Anyway, I was thinking that that was the one being promoted by Academy Blackwater. God, people are such lemmings. Now, especially in the two party paradigm is what I really was meaning there. With that being considered the centralized health focus where they're going to get to dictate what you do. I mean, gee, I wonder what that will mean. Lockdowns, masks, injections, right? That's obviously where they believe that's where we should be going. From left to right, guys. We need to make sure we understand and put this to bed that people right now all around the world are collapsing more than we've ever seen before. With specifically cardiac arrest. Now, for everyone right now that's already in their mind, well, the vaccine saved the we're not even talking about that today. Now, yes, there's an obvious question to be asked about the correlation of the injections being given and whether this is connected. You know my opinions, but let's put that aside for this conversation. Is, are the, is the amount of people we're, are the amount, is the amount of people we're seeing collapsing around the world more than is expected? The answer is obviously yes, and I'll prove that to you. So if that's the case, and it's exponentially, obscenely more than we ever would have expected, why isn't anybody investigating that? Why aren't we wondering what's happening? What's in, what's going on? Is it climate change? Right? Is it is it Lyme disease? Is it hepatitis? Is it something else going on? Is it a mystery brain disease? I mean, obviously, they can spin up a whole bunch of arguments, and maybe those are correct. But the point is, they're not doing any of that. Nobody cares in the corporate discussion about what is happening here. Now, this was the Twitter, the Twitter thread discussion that got me all frustrated. <laughs> so this was Dr. Kat Lindy. Now, I'm not even using her tweets to, to go off of here. I haven't even go, tried to confirm the statement she's making. You guys can look into it for yourself. She's citing, citing an article by Joseph McCorla that I haven't even looked at. That's not the point today. But she says, data compiled by the, inter, the Olympic Committee showed 1,101 1, sudden deaths in athletes over the age of 35. Now, this is what people are com- debating. I'm not the reason I'm not getting into that today is because that's not the point to make. We're not even trying to make these arguments about this is about what we can prove right now in front of us and what it, it contrasts with the previous studies that these people right here are citing. First of all, fair enough to say, do you have the original source, which is what I asked too. And then weirdly enough, there's this pushback today. Don't you know how to use Google? Those are those people, in my opinion, are part of the problem. 
why don't you want them to cite these things, right? Like it's wrong to ask for a citation. Yes, obviously you could type it in and look for it and you should do that. But we should be demanding that people cite what they say, especially those that are reporting as journalists. That's not happening pretty much anywhere outside, now barely even in the independent media. So this person says Google has been part of the problem as it compares these things, people look in the wrong, and I agree with that. But they say, or you could just open your eyes. You see, these are the kind of people that I have a problem with, even though we probably agree with where this stands right now. But that's not the point. The point is this conversation where people are discussing this back and forth, quibbling about, oh, you guys are fake news because this has been here forever. Right? This one says, sudden death in athletes is old news. These are the two things I'm looking at today. Where's your peer-reviewed source? Well, how about we use the one he's pointing at? Let's start there. Here's the one they're pointing at. Back in 2016. And I, I agree. It's, it, it, it's been reported a lot in the past. But you know why it's news today? Because the number that they cite in this article he's using to make his point ridiculously makes it proves the opposite of what he's saying. Let me explain. It says, this article reviews the epidemiology and common, way, common causes of sudden cardiac death in athlete populations. It says, for a small number of individuals who harbor cardiac conditions. So first of all, as I keep making in the past, this is a smaller side point, but it's relevant. That in almost every one of these studies, they make the argument that it's people who either we haven't seen yet have some kind of untreated cardiac problem or people that did have it and they've lived with it. And then you find, and then they die. Oh, well, that's what it was. They had this cardiac problem. In almost every case, they're pointing at that. Harbor cardiac conditions, exercise can sometimes be associated with the risk of sudden death. So it's not just these unexplainable random things where we can't find anything and they just call it SADS. It's almost always, there's an example of something, right? Which that right there is a huge point to make, but that's not the point we're getting into today. A recent estimate of sudden cardiac death incidents ranged from this is the one he posted. One in 40,000 to one in 80,000 athletes per year. And of course, that it's very rare. And this just says rare, but there's other articles that say very rare. Sudden cardiac death is rare. Ranging from one in 40,000 to one in 80,000. Okay, so his argument is, look, it's old news, right? So you're telling me, well, here's the first point, as I've shown you before. Right, at least at the end of 2019, and I argue it hasn't fluctuated that much. In fact, it's clearly gone down based on what we're going to discuss today. That according to the data in the United States, there is 35.9 thousand athletes and sports competitors in this country. So we're making this point today that goes beyond the United States. Okay, but just in the United States, the argument is 40,000. So you could look at this either one of two ways. Because if you read through these studies, I actually in most cases find it hard to tell. Even in the methodology, whether this is meant to be every a, a worldwide study or just the United States, but it really doesn't matter. Let me show you why. Let's just take it first as the United States, just just this country, one in forty thousand. So based on what how many athletes there are in this country, that means that we should see one one athlete who dies of cardiac arrest on the on or off the field for that matter in the entire year. So let's say two years, it would be two. But you could take that up to 80,000 and it would be even less. One in 80,000, between one in 40 and one in 80,000. Okay, so if you take that to the world, it becomes even more alarming, right? So you see my point and why it's, it, it's either way. So that's the study he's pointing at. So what I'm going to show you today, and I'm going to show you in a minute, I'm going to go over to the next article he points at, but we're going to go through all the different examples of people who have died or collapsed, that's the end part of it, on the field 
just in 2022, then just in 2021, and we'll show you how we're way, 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 way past one or two in a year. So let me just put it this way. If we cared about the signals they pretend they care about, if we saw five people collapse or die, that should be enough. Five times the average should be enough for them to freak out, let alone way, way, way more than that. Because I'm not, obviously, you know, I can't get into all the ones we're going to show you, but I'm going to show you the ones that they've, that are undeniable. And all we're talking about is people who collapsed on the field of sudden cardiac arrest. We're not talking about the injection. We're simply talking about how many athletes have had cardiac arrest on the field and died. And why that's alarmingly more than is supposed to be happening. And why nobody seems to care about that. So first, again, my point is this frustrating, go this laughing argument that he points to the thing that literally proves that this is a problem. And he doesn't know that. Then he goes, and finally, I'm compelled to leave you with this and leaves the Washington Post. Because, you know, that's what you should be smart. You listen to what the corporate media says about what the facts say, because that's what smart people do, right? But let's read that. Oh, and by the way, in this report, uh, let me see if I didn't miss. Okay, I didn't. The data they cite in this is from this article. 2014, incidents of sudden cardiac deaths in athletes, and it elaborates more. 13 studies were found investigating the rate of sudden cardiac death in athletes who range from age 9 to 40. So just realize these are multiple studies around the world from ages from children all the way to middle-aged adults. And additional 15 incident studies were located examining the rate of sudden cardiac death in other populations under the age of 40. Studies with higher methodological quality, so the good studies, consistently yielded incident rates of Again, one one to forty thousand, one in forty thousand, one in eighty thousand. That's pretty consistent. You'll find and it only gets worse. I guess is the right way to frame it. So this is. Oh, this was just so I could search for things. How the falsehood of athletes dying in coronavirus vaccine spreads. This is from February first, twenty twenty-two. I might have even pointed to this, but we're going to make this point clear today. So here's Washington Post trying to fact check that this is not happening. Now, here's what's frustrating about this. This is what I keep pointing out about these kind of sites, which we'll show you later in, at the end, the good, real, the good sciencing or real science, that they're trying to frame this as them being misinformation because they're arguing that we can prove that this is because of the vaccine. That's not what's happening. I mean, it's, it takes 30 seconds to look at the article. Now, you can make the argument there's some grasping connections here and there, or that they make their own statements of, of, the, their, of their opinion. But the bottom line is why I've stood by this platform or this article, regardless of who's doing it, is that they make it very clear. We're not saying it's because the injection. We're saying that's possible. We're, in fact, arguing in this article that that's what they think. But they're simply saying this many people have had cardiac arrest, athletes, serious issues, and 730, 732 of them have died. All of those are after the injection. Not that we can prove it's because of it. Like, that's just simple objectivity. But here's how they fact check that and everybody else by arguing that that is what they're saying. And it gets really pathetic, guys. It says, of course, we've heard the story after uh, story after story. I mean, all these athletes dropping dead on the field, but we're supposed to ignore that. This is Senator Johnson making this comment after he asserted asserted that there have been over 22,000 deaths reported in association with the coronavirus vaccine. And then quickly adding that it doesn't prove causation. Right, because that's what honest people say. I'm not suggesting that I think Johnson's always honest, but that's an honest statement because it doesn't prove causation. He's simply going, why isn't that alarming to anybody? Because guess what, guys? That is what Bayers is reporting. It's at 28,000 now, just in Bayers. 
No one's saying we can prove that every single one of those is because of the injection. As we keep pointing out, the UK Health Security Agency said in 2006, before it was called that, that we don't need to prove them. Just the signals are enough. And he, back then they were pointing at like 10, 15, 20, 100. We're only talking deaths, by the way. These, there's over 2 million reports of problems. And they're unconfirmed. Yes, that's what they are supposed to do. And that's why they point at it when they want to make their points. Yet when anybody else points at it to make the same kind of valid point that we should be asking questions, which is they try to frame in this article as conspiracy theory. How dare you ask questions? They discount it as fake news. Literally undermining the very purpose, the stated purpose of what this is supposed to be for. But it says... We have explored before how Johnson routinely raises concerns about vaccines by citing data from Bayer's, a database co-managed by the CDC and the FDA. Right. Yeah. Co-managed by them. But yes, we know that people can report it. Anybody can report it. That's why it's meant to it's meant to be that way. But here's what they say. I couldn't believe I read this. Anyone can submit support reports to Bayer's and the reports are not verified. I agree. But they say the numbers are basically meaningless. If you want to see one statement throughout this entire process that actually puts people's lives in danger, it's that. That is a perfect example of how medical misinformation can literally put people's, put people's lives in danger. But no, I'm not calling for censorship because they have a right to say it. Because those words are not actually danger. They're not actually violence. But the misinformation can lead people to make bad choices that can. And it's the same argument they make about me, but that's why I'm still defending that they have a right to say it. Because people have agency. Right? Aren't they autonomous human beings that can make their own choices and decide for themselves whether they believe this? Right? It's always their choice, regardless of how aggressively misinforming you're being, and it's usually them. But meaningless? If it's meaningless, why does the CDC use it? If it's meaningless, why did they literally just point at it when they were discussing myocarditis to make their argument? It's not meaningless. It's only meaningless when we point at it because they don't want to see what it's showing. And it's not meaningless, is the point. I mean, guys, that's crazy. Nobody, I mean, that, that is an, a, a politically motivated writer, not a journalist, a propagandist writer for Washington Post, getting all jived up on what they think. Is that they're pushing their ideas. The CDC, the FDA, none of them say it's meaningless, but this is about social engineering. I couldn't believe I read that. Okay, so the point is, obviously, theirs is valid, just as safety signals, not as proof. And that's what even the UK said before we got in the COVID clown world. And now they're ignoring more signals than we ever seen in history. Does that make sense to anybody? It shouldn't. But it goes on to say, the spokeswoman Alexa Henning said she provided a link to the website called Good Sciencing when this was a, a, an aid for Johnson. So that's where this comes in. Back then, it was only 577. Now it's over 1,000. But it says they maintain, it's maintained by anonymous people. Oh, I know how much they hate an anonymity. That has a blog post with the headline. Let's just it's blog post. 577 cardiac arrests, serious injuries, after COVID shot. They just can't stand that that's a fair thing to say. No one's saying we can prove it. I mean, some people are, but in this case, but it did. They did have cardiac arrest. We can prove that. They did die. So what's the issue here? They don't like that people are reading into it. They don't like that it's obviously that it does suggest something, whether or not you make up. You can just cite those facts, and that's a suggestion in and of itself. That's what they don't like. It says, here's the rub. The claim has been debunked repeatedly. But you see, here's what they're gaming at. They're arguing the claim is that these people all died from the injections. Like this is a this is a artificial reality. No, that's not what the article says. That's not what the sentence says that you just wrote. But watch as they go on to argue that because they say that they're all caused by the vaccine, therefore it's all fake. 
see this breakdown of reality where in the middle there, there's what actually happened. And then there's just, they're pointing at something that's not even there. This happens in Ukraine. It happens in partisan politics from both sides. It says the story of athletes dropping dead from coronavirus vaccines. See right there. That's not what they're arguing. It's obviously a possibility. Has its roots in mysterious Austrian websites. <laughs> what? With ties to that country's far right populist. Oh, look at that. There's your vanilla ISIS, white supremacist, far right Republican. It's just clumsy. So apparently it's because far right Austrian websites that I've never heard of. That's why I talk about this. Those stories were then recycled by right wing media in the United States and then eventually came to the mouth of the U.S. Senator. As if that's where it came from. Not that I'm just actually watching the news. And I'm like, in the context of news, I mean, like, you know, just data points coming out. This guy collapsed. This person has a heart attack, right? Whatever's happening. And then just noticing a pattern and going, wait a minute. I've never seen this many athletes collapse on the field in my life. Never even seen one before. Suddenly I'm concerned. So let's look into it. And I look into the actual data from the, from FIFA, from the NIH. But apparently to them, I just see some weird white website and listen to what Republicans say. Like this is insulting to your intelligence. It should be because they act like that's where it comes from. But it says medical research shows the risk of getting myocarditis from the coronavirus itself is about 100 times higher than getting her the vaccine. We're not even talking about myocarditis. Well, obviously, in the case of the suggestion, but you see, they're just that's what they're getting into. But this is a false argument anyway. Because as I continue to argue and not even argue, it's a simple fact, the risk of getting myocarditis from the injection or the increased risk you gain from the injection is instantaneous, immediate. They've all explained that. It's super, super rare, they say. Irrelevant. You take the injection, just like that, you gain that increased risk, period. However, you don't just instantaneously gain the risk before you get catch what's happening. There's plenty of arguments to make there. People, people argue it's not even real. People argue that they aren't at risk from it, that it's not as dangerous as the flu. So however you want to look at it, the reality is that you don't gain that risk if it's even really there before you catch it. So why would you bank? Why would you guarantee increased risk when the other side of that risk is completely up in the air? And then you add on the reality that most people aren't even in danger from this. And that this is an illusion. It's a false choice. They know that. That's all they have. Now, and when they get into the data where they go, let's follow the information trail. Let's look at what they look at. Well, you, you might think, oh, well, they go through each one of the cases they report, right? They go through the article and they go through all, at that time, 557 of the cases, and we prove to you that they're lying, right? That's what real journalists would do if it was an actual debunk of the narrative and they were actually lying. But that's not what they do. <laughs> they literally go through one case, Christian Erickson, who, by the way, I'll show you very clearly did have a cardiac arrest. So there's my point. And that's, they just, they, and they talk about how it was misreported, or let's put it this way. Plenty of people came right out and said, that's because of the vaccine without knowing for sure. And that's all they point at. That's why I always say be better. Do I think it's because of the vaccine? I do. I believe that most of these are because of what were the very obvious correlation of the administration of an experimental genetic therapy that's clearly causing problems that they even admit can happen, but yet call it fake news when it does. Such as myocarditis. And I'll make that point in a minute too. But regardless of what I think, it's obvious that the, the, they point at one person instead of going through every single one of the cases and act like that's enough and act like it all comes from this one small thing. But here's my point. Christian Erickson, that's it. They point at him and they go about how it's misinformed and the people online said it was because of the vaccine as if that undermines what this site is saying when they're not saying that. 
But then it says one entry that jumped on the story was Report 24. So now we've got two things involved. We've got Christian Erickson and how Report 24, a German language website, misinformed people about it. Great. That's, it doesn't get much deeper than that. Austrian websites fan the flames. Did they just say that it started with Austrian websites? Apparently it starts with a German language website. They didn't even get that right. <laughs> that we're following their logic. On September 14th, another Austrian website, Wochenblick, not if I'm pronouncing that correctly, posted a story on a provocative headline. Quote, dead doctors, dead mothers. Why have so many people suddenly dropped dead? It's just a question, right? That's what they get into. You Just hiding behind asking questions is how conspiracy theorists do it. That's their, their premise here. Basically making the argument that you shouldn't even ask questions anymore. I'm not, not even making that up. Let me see if I even highlighted it. Yeah, right here. So it says, uh, okay, I, I do want to, okay, yes, it's, it, John, that Johnson is just asking questions, not making factual claims. Make sure I don't miss it. That's weird. Well, I don't want to take too much time on that. I swear it was in there, but let's keep going. So the point was, Report 24, then another one, Wochenblick, posting that provocative title. Okay, so that's all they've discussed. This whole, The next four articles are talking about how this website said this and said that, and Facebook posts discussed it, and it was fake. You know, none of that has to do with the real point that these sites are arguing these people had cardiac arrest after having an injection, which is the only point on the table. Then, of course, they jumped down to say Report 24's post caught the attention of vaccine skeptics in the United States. And then there's Enter Highwire, where they did the same thing. Reported factually, these people are having problems, and the vaccine was part of that discussion. Not that we can prove it. Oh, uh, right here it says... Okay, but th th then it says the website Good Sciencing jumped on the bandwagon. So here's Enter Good Sciencing. Posting a list of nearly 200 athletes and almost 100 deaths, which quickly grew. And again, guys, I'll come back to it. They're all cited, citations. You could look at the stories for yourself. And it goes all over the place. U.S., Italy, Scotland, the whole world. As we tend to say, it doesn't become fake news till you prove it. On December 6th, the popular right-wing website Gateway Pundit reported on an updated good sciencing list that now claimed nearly 300 athletes had collapsed or suffered cardiac arrests after getting a vaccine. Not that we know it's connected. Just they got it. And then a week later, a month later, a year later, they had a collapse. That's what the article's saying. Not that we can prove it. With many dying, which is true. The list, apparently assembled in part with help from a closed sudden injuries and deaths telegram messenger group. Where did that come from? Apparently assembled? Did you prove that? Like what? It's amazing the groups that try to act like they're the high-minded journalists of the world that are enforcing the truth don't even need to prove their statements anymore was fact-checked by factcheck.org and found riddled with errors. Okay, so now you because you claim a Telegram channel is riddled with errors, therefore, because you assume it's connected to this, that must be their fake news. Great journalism, guys. Nevertheless, the list circulated like wildfire among players in Europe's top soccer league. Right, so the fact that soccer players who are having problems are seeing it and going, yep, yep, we see that too, must be fake news. According to the New York Times, hampering vaccination efforts among players. Right, it's because too much information. That's why they want the control of information. For fact checkers, it's like a game of whack-a-mole, they say. By late January, Good Sciencing claimed its list had grown to 577 players, which is where we started, with 352 dead. Any close scrutiny finds links of deaths to a vaccine to be highly tenuous. Do you see my point? 
the art that's the second that's the sentence right after they're simply going the list had grown to 577 players who died who had been, who at some point had an injection and in parentheses any scrutiny finds that it wasn't there was no obvious they're not making that claim who are you arguing with it's like you're looking in the mirror and screaming at yourself washington post nobody's making that argument in this context it says on january 21st the highwire posted a new video titled healthy athletes are still inexplicably collapsing acting like because they did another title that it somehow means they were lying before. Highwire has been sound on their discussions on this stuff. Then it says back to reality. So just to be clear, the only thing they go over in their fact checking is one example. And then how a couple of different outlets reported that. Even though they reported it correctly, they point at it and argue that what they meant, wink, wink, was that this is happening and therefore fact check, they're fake. But respected medical experts say there is no question, quote, or not quote, but contracting the coronavirus is much more dangerous to an athlete than getting vaccinated. Why is that a contrasting point to what they're arguing? First of all, as I said, it's a false choice. Contracting the coronavirus for most people, let's just take 19-year-olds, according to Oxford Calculator, is, what is it, like one in 50,000 dying is one in a million chance. And they say it's more dangerous to an athlete than getting vaccinated. That's not true especially athletes and especially people in the age group we're talking about have a less than the flu risk, according to the data right now on the CDC website right now. And a vaccine can increase the myocarditis risk quite exponentially, which is way higher than what they argue in this article, which we'll tell you I'll say next. And the fact that that risk then translates to a 25 to 56% increase in mortality over the next 10 years, according to the NIH, even a mild case of myocarditis on top of the endless waterfall of other risks that they pretend aren't there that they've admitted to, so you're rare, that they just don't talk about. They only focus on myocarditis and act like that one risk is less, so therefore you're safe. What about all the others? Heart attacks, blood clots, strokes, Bell's palsy, seizures, ALS, neurological disorders. Yeah, none of that matters in this context, right? My God. Quote, those lists are total misinformation. Most of these cases are from other established causes of sudden cardiac arrest in athletes. Again, arguing as if they're saying we know the vaccine. So my point is, why aren't they going, my God, look at how many athletes are having cardiac arrest. And we know that's more than we've ever seen before. What's happening? They can simply go, they can argue the vaccine's not the cause, but geez, what else is causing this? Why aren't they doing that? It's unbelievable. Right now, before I even keep going forward, I'll just make this point since it feels relevant, necessary in this moment. Here are the previous, I showed you this one. That they pointed at one in 40,000 to one in 80,000, right? So two of them makes it more than we should be seeing. A 10 year review from the NIH or posted on the National Library of Medicine 2018 found that there were only 201, 201 sports related adult a- deaths at an incident rate of 0.76 to 1.49 per 100,000 participant years. Over 10 years. Here is the FIFA study that they found 617 players with sudden death that were reported from 67 different countries over the four-year period. Now, these numbers vary. I get it. The bottom line is right this moment, based on everything you can prove, it's so much further than that, it makes my, makes my head hurt. But they don't care about that. All they can do is say, well, because we can prove, which they can't, that most cases aren't even connected to the vaccine, that we don't care why they're all dying? Excuse me? And some cases occurred before the pandemic began. Yeah, well, why don't you care about that? Aren't you concerned about what's happening to all these athletes? 
That's according to Jonathan A. Dresner, editor-in-chief of the British Journal of Sports Medicine. Apparently, he doesn't care. Who conducts research with the National Center for Catastrophic Catastrophic Sports Injury Research. Interesting title. Which monitors all cases of sudden cardiac arrest and deaths in athletes. So he knows and apparently doesn't care. That guy sounds, that sounds like a criminal act to me. I mean, that guy, if he is actually monitoring these things, he must see this. Quote, the risk of myocarditis from mRNA vaccines is about 1 in 20,000. The newest research coming from all of the even corporate outlets and scientific studies from CDC-connected information is showing you it's way higher than that. It was something like 1 in 5,000 or something last time we looked at the information. I forget. Don't take me. Don't. I could be quoting that incorrectly, but it's way higher. The risk of cardiac involvement in young athletes from COVID is about 1 in 200. Again, there's your false reality. The reality that you, the risk is higher no matter how you spin this from taking that injection. The risk estimate, because they don't factor in that you might never even get COVID or whatever you're calling this. The risk estimates come from peer-reviewed studies published in the Journal of American Heart Association. None of us have seen a true confirmation on-field death related to vaccination. Why is that the counterpoint? I can make this over and over. Nobody in this discussion is making that argument but them. Well, there is clearly a very, very small risk of myocarditis with vaccinations. Not true, but it's also not a fair argument. The Pinocchio test. This depressing saga shows how just asking questions. Oh, there it is. Jesus, I can't. I did highlight it. Is used as a get out of jail card for these peddling falsehoods about coronavirus vaccines. Okay, so is that a true statement in some small regard? Maybe even bigger? Sure. Why not? I guarantee somebody out there is hiding their very blatantly false arguments and intentionally misinformation behind pretending to ask questions. Sure. But what they're using that for is to argue that you then shouldn't ask questions, that anybody asking questions, even relevant ones about information we can prove, are just hiding their falsehoods behind questions. What Senator Johnson said is there are 2,200, well now it's 2,800 deaths associated with the injection. That's a fact. It's right there in front of you. Now, you could argue they're all fake news, that everyone that did it lied, but that's still a fair statement. So when you're asking a question, why is that happening? Is that a peddling of falsehood? It's actually discussing a verifiable fact. 28,000 reports are associated with the vaccine, even if you want to debate whether they're all valid, which you should. But you see, this is why they've overstepped that. They just simply go past that and say, you can't even ask these questions anymore. Now, don't forget the original discussion about the centralized control over the flow of this health discussion and whether the flow of information. That's what this is all about, because we are destroying them or rather they destroyed themselves with how clumsy this all went. It says any vaccine carries some risk, but which, by the way, 100 percent was what they they swore up and down about in the beginning. So apparently not pre-COVID clown world. But these lists of athletes often assembled by anonymous individuals with no apparent medical credentials, which I don't know why that even matters, are sketchy and anecdotal. That they died? No, it's not at all. In fact, I'll prove it to you next. There is no baseline comparison that would put these figures in context. See, they're under the underarching or. The point underneath it all is that it's all vaccine related. Caveats that would detract from the scare headlines are buried. Scare headlines. They're pointing at this. How is that a scare headline? You see, they are making a fake argument. Meanwhile, these reports have had their intended effect. Spreading fear among athletes about COVID vaccinations. Oh, is that why we're doing that? So now they're assuming that our intentions are to scare people away. Spreading fear among athletes. Our intention is to show people what's really happening so they can then make their own choices, informed. A responsible politician would determine the facts, not ask questions premised on unverified claims 
made by bottom feeders of the internet. My God, talk about a very that's see that that is a personal opinion being framed as journalism, and a, and a slimy one at that. Bottom feeders of the internet. In fact, people who actually care about the truth questions are always where it starts, especially in a top-down controlled society. Anyone who spreads misinformation in whatever form earns four Pinocchios with their like childish garbage. Okay, all that aside, or con- considering all of that. Let's remember, in this country, 35,000, 36,000, let's say, on average per year, athletes. If one in 40,000 is what we're talking about, or even, you know, one in 20,000, one in 10,000, you have to understand how obvious that makes this number. So if I get, if I can show you right now, 10 different athletes in just one year that have collapsed and died from cardiac arrest, then that should be an alarming reality, right? Well, let's do that. Let's start with 2022. New Jersey man dies attempting to climb uh, Alaska's Denali. So a climber, athlete, January 6th, 48-year-old climber. Now, there's a lot of these that you can argue are a little bit off the beaten path, but you'll see my point as we go through this. Most of them are very, very clear. Sudden death of freshman impacts Lawrence North High School students. 15-year-old boy dies suddenly after team practice. Child athlete, cardiac arrest. There's two. 16-year-old American athlete suffers sudden cardiac arrest. 2022, there's three. Former Alaskan lineman Brian Wallace passes away, collapsed from a heart attack. There's four, 26 years old. Oh, this, wait, didn't I? Oh, did this go back on me? Dang it, I had this translated. Hold on. According to reports, no, this one was, let me remember what it was, 29 years old. Died of a heart attack. Volleyball player. Five, I think. Rancho Polis Verdes woman dies at hospital after collapsing on Los, Los Angeles Marathon. So a woman that was running a marathon, 46 years old, collapses, finish line, cardiac arrest, six. Caleb Swingin, Fort Wayne, basketball star, 25, dies of natural causes. Now that's an interesting thing that I keep, that I'm going to show you another one in a second. How in the world do you actually make an argument that a 25-year-old dies of natural causes? What does that even mean? Like, I, I literally don't even understand what that means. So we'll leave this one off just because. Let's just call it, we'll stay with six. But a 15-year-old athlete dies of natural causes. I mean, come on, guys. That's crazy. Female footballer Marvel Simeo dies at 21. Here's another one. 26-year-old American football player dies after stepping a heart attack. I'm, you know, what's eight, nine? I mean, guys, this is my point. It's so very obvious. This is exponentially more. And these are just a few that I picked up. There's a running list as I'm going to, as you can go through and look around the world. Because remember, we're talking around the world. These are all, these are just the United States I'm pointing out right now. Or uh, in most cases, I think. I think I might have slipped a few in at the end. But here's the one that I just, this is today. Basketball star Caleb Swangen dies at age of 25. It's the same point. It's absolutely mind-boggling that a young man dies at the age of 25 from natural causes. Make sure that wasn't this. Oh, it is the same one. Sorry, same one. I, I think I had these out of order. I'm not even sure how something like that is possible. 25 years old, natural causes. That's actually what they're going with. You think for yourself. Here is where we step into 2021. 
just to go back, same point. This was Pedro. Uh, the, the, oh, that, that was. I'm going to make a point here about an article that they shared. I think. Getting ahead of myself. But in any case, here's a baseball player. He was diagnosed with a ventricular non-compaction. This was in 2013. It was a genetic heart condition. Now, the point is that, as we've seen, that these injections will dramatically increase those things. If that is the case, and I'm not saying that's the case, that would be one point to make. But nonetheless, he died on November 8th at his home in Puerto Rico, which which was heart complications. So the point is that we're not talking about whether or not they have a pre-existing condition, because those studies are not, they're just simply saying in a general broad sense, people that have these. And that's why they make that argument that that's what they used to only see is people that did have pre-existing conditions or ones they hadn't found yet. But all the ones we just listed, there's no, they don't know. Some of the natural causes that doesn't make sense. Even with the studies from before, here is a football dies after suffering cardiac arrest, 2021, a young footballer. It was I had I saw it earlier. A young football f- footballer dies of a cardiac arrest. Suspected cardiac arrest while playing on the on the cup matches. Tragically died. Here's another one. Citrus High School football player dies after collapsing during practice. Now, 2021, in my opinion, is much more obvious. Now, I'm pretty sure all of these are the United States. There's two. 24-year-old hockey star dies collapsing on the ice. Cardiac arrest. Here's, uh, this was the Boris, this was, yeah, I'll, I'll look on these up so you can see what it says here. Died in the hospital on November 3rd, and during hospital examinations, it was found that he had an inflammation of the heart, which potentially led to cardiac arrest. It's amazing how these things get left out of the journalism, right? Gee, that's interesting. Now, you know my opinions. I'm trying not to get into that point. Simply trying to make the argument again that this is enough, whether or not it's the vaccine, that we should be going, what the hell is going on? Philadelphia high school senior dies of sudden cardiac incident, 2021. Princeton soccer player collapsed in the field, dies of sudden cardiac arrest, 2021. 13-year-old baseball player, sudden cardiac arrest on the field, 2021. 15-year-old boy with no health issues collapses and dies during a basketball tryout, 2021. Now, this one specifically I found really interesting because they, same kind of argument. They they couldn't figure it out. It was being investigated. And you check it for yourself. Look for this kid's name. Look for any investigation and any even remote discussion past March 19th, and you won't find it. So clearly they were investigating, right? It's it's obviously suspicious to me. Now, here's an interesting point about Christian Erickson. This is getting into even the citation that they made in that Washington Post article. This is CNN covering this, which I found really weird the way that they chose to cover this. Probably, in my opinion, maybe meant to trick people up, trip people up. Christian Erickson suffered cardiac arrest during Euro's match and, quote, was gone before resuscitation, doctors say. Okay, I'll ask you this. If you read that title, what would you think happened? Obviously, he died. He didn't, though. Well, I mean, I guess the story is he did for a short period of time. But why would you write the headline like that? And then why would you not make it clear pretty much anywhere in the article, except for like, or I should not anywhere in the article, but until like five, six paragraphs down, that he didn't die. Look at how this reads. Christian Erickson was gone before being resuscitated from cardiac arrest. Now, that, I guess, argues he was resuscitated, but it says Denmark's team doctor said at a press conference, the Danish soccer player collapsed on the pitch during his team's opening match. Quote, well, what would I say? He was gone, period. And we did cardiac resuscitation, and it was cardiac arrest. Doesn't that seem, doesn't, doesn't sound, that seems like it's sounding like he's dead. How close were we? I don't know. I guess you could kind of read it in the either way, but it just seems odd. You know, the point is this person very clearly did have a cardiac arrest on the field. 
Erickson sent greetings to his Danish teammates from hospitals from recovering, so he's in the hospital. Died for five minutes. An obvious case. Even the one they point at, as if this is fake news. Here he is right here, collapsed on the pitch after suffering cardiac arrest. He was given a cardiopulmonary resuscitation and was later fitted with an implantable cardiac defibrillator. Perfectly healthy before this. Here is a footballer, collapses from cardiac arrest during the game in Norway, 2021. Emil Palsen. Here is an Egyptian player, dies at the dressing room collapse. Sudden cardiac arrest. Croatian football player, tragically dies, 23, following training, collapse in training, 2021. All of these, by the way, are listed in this next article. Oman International, uh, uh, Rakdi dies, age 29, after collapsing in warm-up, 2021. What happened to Sofane Lukar, 30-year-old Algerian football player, dies during match, passed away at the age of 30 after a heart attack. Guys, this is undeniably obvious that there's an issue. You can decide for yourself what you think that may be. The fact that it's being ignored is it's disgusting. Now, here's an article that's been dismissed and is actually cited by plenty of these corporate articles as conspiracy theory. Four footballers killed by heart attacks over Christmas week because what they argue is they're insinuating it's the vaccine. It's not what it says. Every one of these are ones I just showed you. Why wouldn't that be alarming to people? Four people over Christmas week die of heart attacks. That's more right there in one location, one week, than the entire study found in 10 years, or excuse me, four years, or in the case of this one, specifically, a general year range of 140,000 to 180,000. So right now, we are eight, nine times what you should be seeing based on these averages. Why doesn't that alarm anybody? Now, here's just other points in regard to maybe not dying. Right? Remember this discussion? And this is one of the most prominent. A student athlete's TikTok went viral after he developed myocarditis from the vaccine. And the reason it says that on a Yahoo article is because it was proven by the doctor. In fact, the doctor signed the documentation so he could show people that, yes, we proved the injection caused this myocarditis, which I don't even know why it's contentious when they themselves admit that that can happen. But guess what happened? TikTok and all the other platforms censored him when he talked about it. Why that's not the most obvious example, I don't know. That means they're censoring people right now in the real world that did have this happen because they just broadly censor anybody that says that because their guidance is to censor those topics even though they know it's happening. Pretty clear, isn't it? The bottom line is he is a division. He was a division one golfer. He's done forever. That's a fact. Here's another one that we've talked about. Remember Kyle Warner? A highly, a very prominent mountain biker, like a really, really professional height. Like it was, and he's done for the rest of his life immediately following the injection. And he also had this proven by a doctor and has made it very clear that this is obvious vaccine injury and they still censor him. They still hide what he says. Teen horse rider, Sienna Knowles, a star hospitalized with blood clots after the injection, 2021. Why none of this matters? I don't know. Here's another, uh, this is actually an interesting one. It was another soccer player, footballer, who they first said suffered from lung disease in August 2021 until later it came out that, guess what, in November 30th, 2021, that he received a COVID vaccine in July. Shortly thereafter, he was hospitalized for heart problems. Confirmed that the player had been diagnosed with myocarditis. Interesting how that quietly gets reported after the fact. Well, here are the studies, guys, you can read for yourselves. It's undeniable. Whether the vaccine plays a factor is up for you to decide. But the fact that this is being ignored when it's so obviously counter to the data, like it's, it's, 
criminal. It is actually criminal because they're keep, they keep pointing at the studies around, like take the other examples we discuss, like the incidence of myocarditis in general. How do they combat that? They go, well, it's way lower than the normal incidence of population. Exactly. Even though they're not being accurate about that either by hiding all sorts of other data, why doesn't the same argument arise for this? Because they know right now what you're seeing is exponentially more than what the normal occurrence is. So they just don't talk about it because that's what these people do and continue to allow these people to get hurt. Now, you can read through this for yourself. I'm not saying that every statement in here is something that I like there. You can read through this and the, you know, there's cheeky suggestions and this is, you know, repeat this after me. These are not caused by the vaccine, those kind of things. But it doesn't matter. The the bottom line is everything posted in here is sourced to an, to something you can read for yourself. It reports whether they're dead and it reports in a coordinated way whether or not they ever had the injection, not saying we prove that it's causing it. And that's why they're so desperate to gaslight what this is, because it's undeniable. And something we should understand, guys, as somebody shared this with me today, the unvaccinated aren't dying, right? Where are all the numbers? Like when you compare this to the things they keep saying, based on what they're saying, it should be dropping like flies. They never, that never happened. All they keep saying is, well, you're going to see most people dying or in the hospital because the vaccine, because most of them are vaccinated. Well, okay, fine. You could make that argument, even though it's not true because it's not supposed to be the majority. And we've shown you the per 100,000 risk, which is still higher for the vaccinated and all their peer reviewed studies and data coming from Pfizer are now proving everything we're saying. But where are all the unvaccinated that are supposed to be dying? It's weird that we just skip right over that, right? All their grandiose, dire predictions about what would happen to you. (laughs) Show me. Give me that data. It's not there, guys. Now, all of this being considered, all the real risk that we're seeing from the, you know, everything we talked about in the beginning and the concerns there and how we're watching people collapse in real time that nobody wants to address. And whether that could be, in my opinion, is the injection in some cases correlated to that. How about we realize the very real alarm of even discussing self-spreading vaccines when this stuff is at the very least unproven. And that is a very kind way to say that. Here's the Brownstone Institute. I'm going to read through this quickly and then just play a video for you and last give you a couple final thoughts. Brownstone Institute doing a great job. Contagious vaccines, a warning. You know we've talked about this many times. As uh, And we've, we've referenced his work before. Aaron Carity, uh, correct me if I'm saying that incorrectly. He does great work. For two decades, scientists have been quietly developing self-spreading contagious vaccines. This is not hyperbole, guys. It's not. It's, this is not hyperbolic or fake news. This is very clear and very real. This is, in fact, the very article I just talked about, right? It's not, the, in, in many cases, they're arguing human to human, or excuse me, animal to human. But as I showed you before, the Johns Hopkins discussion and plenty of others right now are discussing, and I'll show you the video again in a second, that it's about human to human. That's the future. It says the NIH funded this research in which either DNA from a deadly pathogen is packaged in a contagious but less harmful virus or the deadly virus's lethality is weakened in, by engineering it in a lab. Now, this is also where it comes in with the the self-assembling nanoparticles and virus-like particles, right? So they don't necessarily need to use these deadly things. They can make their own, which, by the way, it's, at least historically, and what we're seeing right now, tend to be worse. <laughs> but the resultant vaccines, in quotes, spread from one person to the next, just like a contagious respiratory virus. Only 5% of regional populations would need to be immunized. The other 95% would catch the virus as it spread person to person through community transmission. 
This technology bypasses the inconvenience of recalcitrant citizens who may refuse to give consent. Its advocates highlight that a mass vaccination campaign that would originally take five months, or excuse me, take months of expensive effort to immunize everyone could be shortened only a few weeks. You know, that pesky informed consent. Scientists have already shown, and ask yourself this, by the way, if they're arguing why informed consent is not necessary, why would we pretend that they care about it now? Scientists have already shown proof of concept in animal populations. In 2000, this is an important reference, Spanish researchers injected 70 rabbits with a transmissible vaccine and returned them to the wild, where they quickly passed the vaccine to hundreds more, reportedly stopping a viral outbreak. European countries are now testing the vaccine on pigs, but the point that they don't include there, that we've already gone over this, you guys remember, and I'll give you the link to the discussion where we had this. Bad things happened there. Unexpected transmission, unexpected tra- transformed variants and different things happened among the rabbits. It wasn't, it, in fact, they found with that exact incidence that it wasn't, other than the fact that they did succeed in having it transmit, it was not viable because of the way it went down. It hurt the rabbits. There was un- unforeseen consequences. We talked about this already. Now, that is just a stepping stone, obviously, because they want to make, just like we can see the vaccines hurting people now, they don't care. It's about the way it's presented. That's, of course, my opinion, but obviously the data backs that up. In the wake of the COVID pandemic, about a dozen research institutions in the U.S., Europe, and Australia are right now investigating the potential human use for self-spreading vaccines. The Federal Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, for example, is examining this technology for U.S. military use in protecting against West Africa Lassa fever, a virus spread from rats to humans. But that's, of course, the cover for this, in my opinion, because we've already seen this called out, guys. They got caught for this, and even the video I'll show you will make this argument in regard to insect allies and different things they've already tried, where they're making bioweapons under a guise of this kind of technology, and even the scientists of the world at that time openly called them out, signing docu- signing petitions and saying, we need to stop what the government's doing, what DARPA's doing, and they successfully push it back momentarily. Now, here it comes rising back up under the guise of self-spreading vaccines to stop the COVID vaccine. Well, it's the same thing. This is the same alarming thing. This project, it should be noted, does not require consent of the military servicemen and women. In now, ask yourself if they're even doing that already, and then how do they know it's not continuing past that to everybody else in the world? Or even in the studies they're doing, how do they know it didn't leak out like they've got accidentally, so, so we're told, Happened many times. One leak every three days for seven years straight, according to the CDC's own documentation. They've said that from Fort Detrick, Ebola, coronaviruses, all sorts of things. In 2019, the UK government began exploring this technology to address the seasonal flu. Interesting how that continues to be seen. A research paper from Britain's Department of Health and Social Care advised that university students could be an obvious target group. Quote, they do not work so, so vaccinating them will not cause much economic disruption. And most have second homes to go to, thereby spreading the vaccine. My God. Oh, I mean, I guess openly now, but the government discussing how they were going to use them unwittingly to test because, well, it's going to work perfectly for us. They all, This is historically what they've always done. Operation Sea Spray and all the different things we talked about where they test on you and then later act like, oh, well, we're sorry that we are about to do it 30 more times today. The researchers admitted a contagious vaccine for an attenuated flu virus would cause some deaths, but estimated these would be less than the original flu. So it's okay that we're killing people by design as long as it's less than what the other part was. As the UK government report described, quote, self-spreading vaccines are less lethal, but not non-lethal. They can still kill. 
which means it's dangerous. Therefore, you should be able to make a choice about that, which this removes from you. Some people will die who would otherwise have lived, though fewer people die overall. And how would you ever prove that? As the saying goes, you can't make, I should take a step back in regard to the proving. How do you prove that in general? Because the numbers they cite for the deaths from flu, even the WHO, even the BMJ, even the HHS have called out in the past saying that those numbers are straight fiction. That at the end of the day, they proved in the double digits how many people actually had the flu. And they proved that 60,000 plus of the 67,000 total cases were actually pneumonia. That was the WHO that wrote that down and called them out. That's where we are now. Same thing with COVID-19. So how would you ever know? As the saying goes, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Or in Lenin's formulation, if you are going to chop down a forest, then wood chips will fly. Contagious vaccines are in their our future. Their champions claim. And no one different than and and are no different than pulling putting fluoride in the drinking water. Here's what they tend to do always, right? Oh, it's just the same as wearing a seatbelt. Take the forced injection. It's like wearing a seatbelt. You're protecting everyone. No, it's not. It's not the same. And putting fluoride in the water is not safe for you. In fact, it's completely alarming and dangerous based on many studies they still disregard. Because just like they trust the science with COVID-19, they trust the science with fluoride, right? Which by, what I mean, what I mean by saying that is they disregard science they don't like. Fluoride in the water has been shown roundly by even studies coming from places like Princeton that this is lowering the IQ of children, but they still do it because they want your teeth white. Who actually believes that? In fact, by the way, it doesn't even make your teeth white. It causes dental fluorosis, which I've, we've other studies have proven, including dental groups. But nobody stops talking about, nobody talks about why it's there still. But their argument is, well, because we do that, we should do this for everybody else. By the way, they make the same quiet arguments about putting things like lithium in the water to calm you down probably already happening because they've made that argument in the past. Why wouldn't we do that? And then we could talk about the bioethics discussion, which I, I won't include that because it just confused the issue, but that's a getting into the bioethics conversation about when they say that if we're going to do it, we should do it without them knowing. It's for their best interest. The dumb little Americans that don't know any better. That's how they, that's how they look at you or how they frame it. Plus, for those who find jabs unpleasant, there are fewer needles required. Government-funded research of lab-engineered viruses to create contagious self-spreading vaccines that bypass the consent of citizens. What could go wrong? Right. Now, as I said, be sure to watch my segment on this exact topic. Here's the link. But let's watch this video. Because this is important for people to see before we finish off. And just in case you haven't seen it, because it is crazy, guys. What this, what, I mean, this is their promoted argument about what this is. Oh, shoot. Hold on. Let me just do this real quick. I thought I had that ready. Yeah, it's not loud enough here. 30 seconds. So this, this video, as I've shown you many times, is in regard to a, a government funded, dis, uh, you know, discussion about, here we go, about what we should do in this regard. And this video was put forward. And, and by the way, it even questions what we, if this is the right thing and so on. But it points out that this is what they're discussing. And they point out the lack of consent as a positive, just like the article we just talked about, or rather Brownstone citing what they're saying. So let's watch this video. And for those that haven't seen it, this is alarming. This is the future they're building around you right now. Since the outbreak of COVID-19, the word virus has been dominating media headlines as well as our daily lives. Did you know that one approach that has been proposed to control virally transmitted diseases is by releasing a virally transmitted vaccine? 
Unlike traditional vaccines, infectious vaccines do not require any individual consent. Infectious solutions are also being developed for food and agriculture and are currently making their way through the regulatory approval process. However, do we really want to intentionally disperse these modified viruses outside the lab? Is this a forward march of science or a mistake? Join our live event at the 2020 Euroscience Open Forum to explore these questions using recent and by the way, when they did this and they ultimately find exactly what you would think, right? That this, they, they have their issues about it, but it's definitely where we need, that's where this is going. Right? That's exactly what he was just talking about. Aaron was just, that was the article we just read. This is the future they're building. It does, in my opinion, these kind of discussions are not about actually caring what they find, just like with event 201 and the different exercises. It's about setting a narrative that this is our, the illusion of due diligence and process. This is already being built. It's already probably being used. That's historically what we find out. You look back 20 years from now and you go, oh, look at that. We were, it was in our drinking water. We didn't even know. That was for your best interest. We apologize. We're not asking, right? Like the Tuskegee experiments. Today, there are, they're apologizing for that. Like they even care. That's what's going to happen. Do you, and does it matter if they apologize 20 years from now when the actions are done and it's too late? <laughs> Obviously not. That's why they do that. They'd rather be seen as incompetent than criminal, always. The fact that in that picture, it literally shows a pregnant woman passing this on to her baby and another woman that's pregnant or another woman, I mean, another child. I mean, how is this even possible that they're arguing this is safe? And then ask yourself how it makes sense that we could talk about this right now and Twitter will call you fake news. They'll, I've been censored for literally posting about self-spreading vaccines as medical misinformation. It's because they don't want this to be focused on just yet. That's my opinion. Obviously, I don't know their intention, but how, what else do you explain? How, why would they censor the reality unless they just don't want people seeing it? Now, the problem is, at least on one side of this, there are still people that can't come to the conclusion that this is exactly the same argument, that you do have a right over your bodily autonomy, and it's not just on one side of this argument. Here's something that'll make you laugh to finish this off. Bodily autonomy, the same right men have always had. We just want equal rights the right to govern our own bodies, just like men have always had. It's that simple. Do you support the right for people to not get the COVID vaccine? It's irrelevant. Right? My body, my choice. You're right. It's almost like she's never even considered that there's an overlap. <laughs> I mean, like, how is that even possible? It's not irrelevant. Yeah, but one saves lives. You're right. It's one not irrelevant. One of oh, okay. So here, one has a narrative I'm supposed to say out loud. That's why. So you don't care about bodily autonomy then. Just because you have a, a narrative, it doesn't even matter if it does save, it doesn't matter. You either care about bodily autonomy or you don't. It's either my body, my choice, or it's not. You don't get to add asterisks and qualifications. That's it's, same thing with free speech. These people's logic, it's broken. And just to be clear, in this one argument, it's pretty predominantly on one side, but that kind of breakdown in logic is the same on the right in plenty of examples. It's the same way that we see partisanship melting away your logic them is going to be in a pandemic state, right? A state of emergency, which we all know laws change during a state of emergency. Do you agree? Oh, do we know that? Do we know that they change? No, they don't. The point is that they, well, you could argue that laws may change historically, but that's not what happened this time. They didn't change laws. They literally ignored your constitutional rights and then said they passed laws or mandates, really. They're not laws that undermine or ignore your rights. In her mind, that's because pandemic, we change laws. That's normal. That's life. <laughs> Just blindly follow what you're told. I mean, these people exist, but believe me, guys, I see it, and we should understand that it is not the majority. We wouldn't be where we are right now if it was the majority. We just wouldn't.
agree with the statement or the, the principle of my body, my choice? Yes, absolutely. Bodily autonomy is a human right. Healthcare is a human right. Um, access to healthcare should be, not be something that is dictated by the Supreme Court. During the pandemic, did you support people's right to not get the COVID vaccine? <laughs> my God. It's a difficult conversation. Do you now, honestly, that one to me looks like somebody who just doesn't want to answer because she knows what will happen. She was wearing nurse scrubs, probably going to lose her job. Who knows? Either way, it's obvious that people don't want to speak out loud about how that's the same damn thing. It's exactly the same thing, even though they're not the same situation. We're not talking about whether the vaccine is different than having a baby. We're talking about bodily autonomy in whatever way you want to make that. It doesn't change because you just are, you create a new discussion from some other treatment or some other. It's about anything that violates your body, your choice around your body. These people just can't. It's you're watching the cognitive dissonance. You're watching their brains short circuit because they know at some level that, that is the same thing. But politically, I'm not supposed to say that. So no. Or bodily autonomy in other situations. For example, the COVID vaccine mandates the, the vaccine mandates we've been mandated to get vaccines for years and years okay but that's not what he asked you right so this is just again it's the sidestep of logic so you do support in that situation people not having control of their bodies right that's not that's not having not control of your bodies like i don't understand <sighs> ah see and she can't see that is her having an issue internally Right? She doesn't. She's frustrated because you obviously get the logic there. And if it wasn't politically motivated, you could stand back and go, well, like you may still disagree, but you have to acknowledge it's the same thing. And that's why she got frustrated. It's like, <laughs> right. You're, you just say it. Just say that, yes, I disagree with that choice. You don't get to make that choice. You think it is important for people to have medical and health control of their own body? Uh, yeah, it's good for... By the way, is that that, is that that trans man, that the, the one that Press for Truth was covering a lot? E either looks like that or looks exactly the same. And it's, it is a guy that, that dresses like a woman and got caught doing all sorts of creepy things. Remember that? I, I, for, Press for Truth talked about it a lot. And the guy's creepy, but nonetheless, not the point here, but I just, I thought that the other day, I was like, that looks, that looks like him. But anyway, going back to the point. Yeah, it's good for them. It's good for everybody. You didn't support the mandates? I did. I do. I do. Why? <laughs> I guess no. Doesn't understand. Isn't that incredible? Support the mandates, yeah. Isn't that mandate that people have to get the vaccine so they don't have control over their own body? Uh, vaccinations are good for people. Ah, so because you decide personally that you think they're good, and even if they are, why does that change that you decide for other people what they should be getting? I mean, guys, this is just so childishly obvious. These people are ridiculous hypocrites. And maybe they don't even realize that. Maybe they've been so socially engineered, which is definitely part of the thing we have to discuss. But it's just unbelievable. But in that case, you don't have control, right? If there's a mandate? No, they don't have to get it. They just, uh, just can't go anywhere or do anything, right? They just can't have a job. You don't that, have that, that's one of those arguments that really fell off early. Because, come on, oh, you don't have to get it. You can go live in the woods by yourself with no, oh, you know, up until they come and get you for taxes in the woods or tell, tell people you have, you know, like, there's no situation where you can just not do these things, not have a job, not be able to own a house, not be able to rent a house, not be able to get on the bus, not be able to shop in the grocery store. Yeah, you can just choose not to. Like, again, that's something that a child can see as a ridiculous argument. They just don't care. They just, in their mind, they're going, yeah, you just do it because we know it's the right thing.
That's what they're actually thinking. All right to a job. Everybody, should- in my opinion, obviously, you guys. I mean, I, I should say that every time, just to be clear. Should have a right to do what they want with their bodies. <laughs> you support the pe- people's right to choose not to get the COVID vaccine. Um, I'm not doing that. Important <laughs> is bodily yeah, autonomy. Oops, oops, we're not supposed to talk about that one. That's off limits. Hypocrites. Okay, to wrap it up here, guys, to end today, I want to make sure we see that even according to Biden, which, by the way, I, it, he says there's going to be another pandemic, which is not for those that see for those that the argument is always that there'll be it's not a false statement. I, I mean, getting into the idea that of what we historically discuss, if, you know, in germ theory, terrain theory conversation is relevant, blah, blah, blah. The point is that what they're arguing is that there's always been pandemics, you know, bird blue and blah, 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 most of which in the past have been manipulated. We've already talked about this, even according to the WHO, H1N1, H5N1, they've called them pandemics of fear. But nonetheless, the point would simply be that whatever you want to call that thing, we've seen examples of the past. And so their argument is we will see more in the future. So the people, what I'm trying to argue there is that people on the, that believe in this are going to say, well, that's not alarmist. That's not predicting the future. He's just going, yeah, of course we're going to see more. But that's not what's really happening here. Because since event 201, what we have seen is this, I mean, look at what we continue to see. Bird flu, monkey pox, everything every 30 seconds, new variants every 30 seconds. That's not the same thing we've seen in the past. So what changed? Well, one, you could argue the introduction of a genetically manipulated experimental substance, maybe. But either way you look at it, they're now arguing that this is not just going to eventually in 30 years see something new, which is what they used to do. This is like tomorrow, right now. So we can't stop what we're doing. That's what this is really about. And that's why this is alarming. But listen to what he says. Sure, we, we do need more money. We don't just need more money this year. We, we do need more money. But we don't just need more money for vaccines for children eventually. We need more money to plan for the second pandemic. There's going to be another pandemic. We have to think ahead. And that's not something the last outfit did very well. That's something we've been doing for fairly well. That's why we need the money. Okay, so basically we need money now for some hypothetical thing in the future, even though we just literally spent $40, $50 billion to fund an illegal war that we're funding neo-Nazis on the other side of the country, on the side of the world. But on top of that, we also spent trillions on dealing with this current situation that you created and you didn't deal with. I mean, think about how crazy that is. And that comes out of what, guys? Your pocket. Again, while you currently still can't feed your families. And we're going to pretend like this makes sense. The bottom line is, guys, they're already driving in this direction. And it's not like it's stopped. We're in the biosecurity state, so it's going to go from one thing to the next. Whether it's a current rising problem they point at or the hypothetical tomorrow situation, it's about creating the constant state. This is the war on terror, now war on your body. As Whitney Webb said, the new, the war, the new battlefield is your body. That's where they're conducting this, and this is the future. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to stop foreign policy, but just recognize with everything we just discussed, the future of self-spreading vaccines, the great reset push about redesigning your healthcare and redesigning everything around your life. And we're watching people collapse in real time that nobody's talking about. And then, of course, add on every the other 10,000 points we could make and all the shows we've done about the risks and the dangers and the peer-reviewed science. And here we are where it's still going. So I need to have a conversation about this at some point, some kind of round table that I'm, I'm setting things up. I was just speaking with James Corbett. I actually just had a conversation with Carrie Wedler about setting up an interview, but I want to set up some round table conversations here, guys, to dissect these things. How do we stop this? Because right now we're at a point where it's obvious that I think the majority is clear. The majority is on our side. So we, we see it, we all acknowledge it, and it may, maybe we acknowledge we're the majority and they still go forward. They offer you, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a danger. 
I was actually going to talk about this in a different context, but to just briefly say this at the end, my brother and I were just talking about an example of, I forget what, what politician pushing the idea of a Republican pushing the idea of these gun control laws. And it's in Texas. That's right. And, and apparently, and not even apparent, it's obvious in this state, especially Texas, that the vast majority of people don't agree with it. So in a illusion of democracy or even the illusion of representative government, that's not supposed to happen. Aren't you supposed to embody what your constituents want? But that's not what he's doing. He's simply going, well, I know that it's unpopular, but we need to save lives. Okay, then. So we don't live in a representative government and you do get to subjectively choose what your lobbyists, excuse me, what your lobbyists and other people behind you are pushing. And maybe you do believe that's the right thing to do. No matter how you spin it, though, what the people voted for and want is not actually what happens. Surprise, surprise. Go out and vote. Vote harder this time. The bottom bottom line is, guys, that this is going to happen unless we do something about it. And I'm never advocating violence. Now, that may feel counterintuitive to some people or contradictory, but I believe there's other choices we can make. But you know what? In some cases, things end up in that position anyway. If you're being threatened, if my life is being threatened, well, I'm going to defend myself. And you could abstractly make that into our lives are currently being threatened and act like I'm advocating for violence. The bottom line is, I'll say again, I do not and do not and I will not advocate for violence. But I'm telling you guys, it is time to do something because what's happening right now is not stopping, despite the fact that the evidence supports you, despite the fact that the Pfizer documentation admits what we are now saying, and it still continues forward. So I don't know what the answer is. Have discussions about it. What is the next step? How do we break through that illusion of the majority and recognize that we are currently on the same page? And even then, what's the next step after that? What do we do to actually stop this from happening? Because let's not pretend like marching through the streets or, you know, protesting in front of their houses, which they'll frame as terrorism, is the right step. It's the opposite of what we should be doing because they want that to happen. That's my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that is what we should be doing. But I've already seen them lay the groundwork for going, when they do that, it's a terrorist act and it's white supremacist and blah, 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 or or however they want to frame it. They're going to create the illusion that this is what they want it to be and then use that to act against you. Now, again, maybe I'm wrong and that's still what we should do, but it does not seem like giving them what they want seems the right action here. Because all they're going to do is act violently against you and justify that what you did was violent, especially if you act in violence. In any case, guys, never have all the answers. All we need to continue to do is the exactly what they were telling you not to do. Ask questions. Continue to push back. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Yeah, I don't think anyone can explain why we saw a 40% jump in code ones. And I've, I've seen that as I've travelled around the state sometimes. I'll walk into an ambulance service and they'll say, we had a 30% increase in code ones yesterday. Can't tell you why. We just had a lot of heart attacks and chest pains and trouble you know, breathing, respiratory issues. Rafa, do you know what the issue is with the, the chest? Or is it something entirely new to you? Mm. No, I don't know. Honestly, no, I...
these are cards as a meditation And those he plays never suspect He doesn't play for the money he wins He doesn't play for respect He deals a cards to find the answer Sacred geometry of chance, the hidden law of a probable outcome, the numbers lead a dance. I know that the spades are the swords of a soldier, I know that the clubs are weapons of war, I know that diamonds. Money for this art But that's not the shape of my heart He may play the jack of diamonds He may lay the queen of space He may conceal a king in his hand While a memory of it fades Spades are the swords of a soldier. I know that the clubs are weapons of war. I know that diamonds money for this art. That's not the shape of my heart. That's not the shape. The shape of my heart. Yeah. 